I'm going to stir you tonight because I, I, I believe that this message is going to meet some of you right where you are. Because I'm going to give you a message that you almost never hear in a charismatic church. What is it? That sometimes it's God's will for you to lose. Saying, that is not what I came to hear on a Wednesday night. Well, it's going to be different than what the title says. But choosing when to lose is important because I'm going to tell you something. Billy mentioned it today during the uh, 4 to 6 GBF. The thing prophetically that I heard the most in 2020 from the Lord was the Lord speaking to me. This was just for me. I'm not saying it was for you, but this is what I cannot get away from. And it's still on me, is that Jeff race to the bottom, the one who gets there wins. Race to the bottom. And then a couple of days, it was race to the back of the line, whoever gets there wins. It's very paradoxical. It's very anti-American. <laughs> it's very counter-cultural. But what does it mean when Jesus, Jesus said in a way you'll all recognize that the, the last will be first and the first will be last. That's all that is. Race to the back of the line, race to the bottom. Jesus said it. The last will be first and the first will be last. The least will be the greatest. And so we have this paradoxical nature. And I want to tell you that that's not just about, you know, being sweet and kind and, you know, this kind of mealy-mouthed version of Christianity. That's not what Jesus, Jesus was talking about. But if we're going to actually fulfill that call on our lives as believers, I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to know when to choose to lose. You can't win every fight. You can't win every contest. You can't be in first place every time. That literally sometimes you'll have the power and the authority to be in first place and God's going to say, pull back on it because this win goes to somebody else. And it's a test of our Christ-likeness and our character. So where am I going to illustrate this from? From Abram and Lot, Genesis 13. And in case you forgot from 10 months ago, here's the rule on Wednesday night. You get to leave whenever you're done, and I will stop preaching whenever I'm done. And so if I'm still preaching and you're done, you're not going to hurt my feelings, but I want to make sure for, for whatever it's worth, I get to share with you what I want. Genesis 13, verse number one. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot, that's his nephew, went with him into the Negev. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So that just means he worshiped. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. 
So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Just a little bit more. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. So, Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. One of the great things about walking through biblical biographies is that we, if you study the scriptures and you really take the time to study out the people on the pages of, of your Bible, especially Old Testament characters, uh, you, you find out that their lives really aren't that incredibly different from us. Um, there are no superheroes in, in the Bible. There are admirable people, but every single person we love and admire and who inspires us in the Bible w- woke up every day and had to contend with the flesh. And I'm really going to wreck you on this one. You actually have it a lot better than every single person in the Old Testament because you have God Almighty living inside of you, and they didn't have that luxury. Abram, before his name was changed to Abraham, was a, a pagan. He was an idol worshiper. He's a guy that literally was the son of an idol worshiper who was the son of an idol worshiper who was the son of the idol, an idol worshiper. And historically, they lived in a land where all they did was worship pagan gods, and there was a lot of crazy stuff that went in uh, to the worship of pagan gods. And Abram, one day, just as he's going about his pagan godless life, here's the voice of the, of the God of heaven. And the God of heaven declares over Abram basically this in summary. I love you because I love you. I chose you because I chose you. I'm going to bless you because I want to bless you. And Abram, that's just the way it's going to be. And Abram's response was, you got me. And Abram was called of God, to, and he's 75 years old. He's 65 at this time, but he's 65 years old. And God basically says, I want you to pack up every single thing you own. And Abram says, I can do it, Lord. Where are we going? And God says, I'll tell you when you start going. And so I want you to think about this. Abram received his call from God at 75 years old. Because some of you walked in the building and you're just, you know, waiting on the the angel of death to come and get you because you figure everything's behind you. Moses got his call at 80 years old. Uh, Abram got his call at 65, 75 years old. And my point is this, is that the life of faith is not bound to a clock or a calendar. God's calling all of us to live by faith. And so as Abram begins journeying with God, Abram is riding this roller coaster up and down. He starts off with great displays of faith. Okay, I'm leaving my, my kinsfolk. I'm leaving my family. I'm leaving everything that's familiar to me. I'm leaving my false gods. I'm, I'm going to follow this voice of this God that has made himself known to me. And he builds an altar and he worships. And then circumstances get difficult. A famine hits the land. And Abram's like, oh, I got to do the responsible thing. If a famine's in the land, even though God told me to be in this land, I probably need to go down to Egypt because, you know, the Bible says somewhere that I got to take care of myself. And so what does Abram do? He goes down to Egypt, and while he's in Egypt, the guy's in charge. Look at his wife. 
always find that interesting too because she's like 10 years younger than him. He's 75, she's 65, and she's the best looking woman around to the extent that all the men down there are, are like, oh, who's this girl? And Abram is so cowardly, he says, tell them you're my sister because if they know you're my wife, they're going to kill me and take you. And so and that's really an awesome husband there. I mean, so in, in other words, they, they'll take you either way, but they won't kill me if they think I'm your brother. So did not get the husband of the year award that year. And so Abram lies and he's in the self-preservation mode. And finally, God exposes the lie. Sarai, his wife, gets given back to him. And they would so badly want Abram to get out of their homeland that they start loading Abram with wealth. And he's got livestock and he's got camels and he's got, he's got gold and he's got silver. So by the time we get here, Abram has really bottomed out. Man of faith and then went through a season where he kind of lost his bearings, forgot who God was, forgot who he was, forgot the covenant that, that was on his life. And so it rattled him a little bit. And like the rest of us, when we go through a season where we're, we're tempted, tested, and struggling, God uses those things to redirect our attention. We lock eyes with him again. He says, I'm still not done with you. I saw you falter. I saw you struggle. I saw you backslide a little bit, but I'm still with you. We're in covenant. And so he takes him, and he's now heading back to the land, and that's where we find ourselves here. He's got his nephew Lot with him. And so Abram and Lot, as they're making their way back to the place where they're supposed to be, both of them, over a long series of months, maybe even years, have accumulated a ton of wealth. They are rolling. If, if we saw it today, they would live in the finest gated community, they would both have brand new 2021 Escalades, macked out. To the, nobody says macked out anymore, but they would, have, they would have brand new massive SUVs. They'd have an entourage. They'd be having crazy money. They'd, they'd have everything that we associate with powerful wealth today. That's the way they would have looked. And they're rolling together, uncle and nephew. And so they're coming into this land that God has promised them, and things are going great. And so let's start and just walk through these verses and let's learn what we can learn. Because believe it or not, in the midst of this restoration of Abram, in the midst of this material blessing and this reconnection to God, Abram's going to have to make one of the toughest decisions of the earliest months of his faith. He's going to have to choose whether or not he's going to lose. And so from that, I think God's going to speak directly into some of your lives tonight. So first of all, just very clearly, first four verses, Abram was richly blessed. In the season of redirection, it says, Abram went up from Egypt. Remember I told you, in Egypt, he had bottomed out. He and his wife, all that he had, and Lot was with him. And they went into the Negev, which is the southernmost part. Egypt's down here. They come north from Egypt, enter into the southernmost part of Judah. And they're in the Negev area. And so it was the season of redirection. It was a time where God blew his sovereign whistle and he said, what you've been doing, how you've been living, where you've been struggling, all of that is, we would say, under the blood, but it's time for you to get back on the right track. And so he's coming back into the place of covenant, back into the place he never should have left. He left there because it was hard. There was a famine on the land. And he went to Egypt and found out it was harder in Egypt how many of you have learned at this point in your life that the safest and best place for you to be is right in the will of God, even if it's contextualized by difficult circumstances? Absolutely. And so Abram learned that, and then we see it, it becomes immediately a season of further increase. In verse number two, it says, Abram was very rich. 
and livestock and silver and in gold. And so he's got bank. I mean, he is rolling. And when the Bible says somebody's very rich, you just need to know that it was noteworthy, it was very unusual, and the favor of God is on him in such a way that it is resulting that basically everything Abraham touches increases. And to him who has, more was being given. And then in verses 3 and 4 is where we start seeing things begin to deepen his maturity. Because it's one thing to be redirected, it's another thing to be blessed in that redirection, But none of it would have been sustainable if it wasn't also a season of reconnection. Because you can get redirected and still not be reconnected. And in other words, God can give you a second chance. He can move you. He can nudge you out of trouble. He can bring you back on the path. But if you don't reconnect with him heart to heart, you don't reconnect with him relationally and and cultivate renewed intimacy with him, that redirection is not going to last because eventually we go back to our own ways. And so look at what Abram does. The Bible says he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel. Bethel was significant. Why? Because it was the place where his tent had been at the beginning of his walk with God. And between Bethel and Ai, Bethel means house of God, Ai means heap of ruins. And so that is kind of a fitting picture of where he had been living. He had been living between the house of God and heap of ruins. He's back there in this place now to the place where he made an altar at the first. And watch this. And there, Abram called upon the name of the Lord. This is so, I think, important. It's critical that we don't just look at this as just, you know, Bible filler. That this, every word in the scriptures is there for a reason. There's no accidental word in the Bible, especially in the original writings. There's nothing in there that God didn't want in there. So if God's telling us that Abraham paused at the place where he had once built an altar and worshiped God, it's very significant. Why? Because it speaks of going back to the beginning of his journey. Going back, Jesus would say this at the end of the age. He would say, I want you to repent and do the first works. And when we lose our direction and when we sense a disconnection or a reduced connection to God, the thing that we most often need to do, but we we sometimes just kind of minimize how important it is, you go back and do what you did at the beginning. You you go back and reconnect to God at the foundational level of, of the sweetness of those early days. And so one of the dangers of advancing and maturing and being more sanctified and getting kingdom under your belt, experience under your belt, especially if you're, if you're doing something and God's touch is on it, one of the dangers is that we can, we can kind of look at the, the way we started and we can think, yeah, that's for the kiddos. That's, a, you know, that's for the new Christians. That's for the babies and all of that. And, and I understand to a certain extent that might be true, but I'm going to tell you, you never outgrow gratitude. And the number one thing that we had when we all got saved was gratitude. And listen, gratitude, the loss of gratitude is the gateway to a multitude of sins. And so when when we go back to those altars and those places, I I just did it the other day. I think maybe it was Sunday night or Sunday morning here. I can't remember. But I just remember, and I hadn't given that testimony in so long. I remember the day he saved me. And I remember how... The fear of the Lord hit me so hard as a 24-year-old drunk and, and just a, a heathen. 
And the fear of the Lord hit me, and I walked in. I can remember the apartment number. It's apartment 112, 3100 Sweetwater Road. I trembled my hand. I had a hard time getting my hand in the key lock. And I went in, and I fell down on my face, and I experienced the deliverance of God in a moment of time. And if I forget that, I start forgetting the pit from which I was digged. And friends, Abram had to go back to an altar and more than likely had to rebuild it. And the Bible says it was there that he called upon the name of the Lord. We, We don't know that he called on the name of the Lord in Egypt because when you're running your own show, you don't really maximize or prioritize calling on the name of the Lord. You're running off of your own strength, your own resources, your own ingenuity. You're telling your wife to say that she's your sister so people don't kill you even though they're going to take her into their harem. You just do stupid self-preserving things and then God in his grace brings that to a halt, gives you a second chance. You get redirected, but you got to get reconnected. And the two are not the same. Um, I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but I, 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 feel, I actually feel the Lord on this. I think some of you have been given multiple chances, but the Lord is calling you to start making something of those chances because you've gotten out of trouble. You've gotten a fresh start. You, you've experienced something that made you go, whew, dodged a bullet there, but you're actually doing the same things that got you in trouble or got you distanced from the Lord in the first place. And so the Lord is saying, no, I am so much more focused on reconnection than I am just a mere redirection. So Abraham did what we all need to do. You go back to that place. You get reacquainted with gratitude. You get small before the Lord. You say, Lord, if you never, ever did another thing for me, you're still good and you're still glorious and I'm still grateful. And what that does from that sweet well, that water begins to bubble up in you and great things can grow from that. So here's where the challenge comes. This is where we start seeing this this fresh season of reconnection, redirection, and, and bounty rolling. I mean, he is rolling and so is his nephew Lot, but it's that relationship that brings Abram to a very difficult decision as to whether or not he's going to continue to fight for himself and live for himself and promote himself over others, or if he's going to choose when to lose. And so let's take a look at it here, okay? Y'all with me? Okay, so in verses 5 and 6, we just find out Abram was relationally challenged because I know nobody in here is, but Abram was. Nobody here has any relational challenges. I'm quite confident of that, but Abram has. And his challenge is with a young man that he loves dearly. It's the only close family member that he's got, and his name is Lot. And it says, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. Okay, that's good. So Abram's blessings are trickling down onto others. And the Bible says that Lot was so blessed and Abram was so blessed that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. This, this is, has such a modern vibe to it. I, I feel like most Christians can handle adversity better than they handle prosperity. I, I feel like that we are more easily like Jesus in times of maybe sustenance or struggle than we are when we have everything that we want, everything that we desire, and pretty much everything is going our way. 
And so the Bible says in this context externally of them experiencing great things, awesome things were happening, that a problem arises. And the problem is this. There's only a limited amount of land. The land's not growing, but their flocks and their herds are. The water supplies are are not growing, but the thirst of all of their numerous animals is growing exponentially every few months. And finally, it's getting to the point where they are both so blessed, but you can almost see it coming on the horizon. The blessing is going to bring a burden. I I think about this a lot. I I, want to just kind of pastor us here on a couple of these points, but God had blessed this relationship, and the test is going to come as a result of God's blessing on both of their lives. And that's going to happen to you, and it's going to happen to me consistently. It's the, it's the test of how we respond to God's favor on ourselves and how we often respond to God's favor on other people. I'm, I'm sure it's none of you in the room, maybe some people watching on live stream, it's probably them, but envy sometimes gets people. Sometimes envy grabs a hold of people's hearts because they see God's favor on somebody else and they're measuring that favor against the favor they're experiencing and envy hits them. And other times people just, I mean, let's just be raw and honest. There's some jacked up people in the church, is there not? Y'all aren't convinced. There, there really are. I mean, listen, we're, we, we need Jesus, man. We need, to be, we need the Holy Spirit. We need to be sanctified. We need to be delivered of ourselves. Um, but I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think the, the kind of the, the principle in the kingdom is you should be really happy when God blesses somebody else. I kind of think that's the way it's supposed to work, that we're actually not supposed to view their breakthrough, their blessing, their victory as our loss. Because we're actually not the lens through which we're supposed to see other people. We're supposed to see them through the lens of who God has made them and through the lens of, of who their identity is in Jesus. And so Abram and Lot are in this spot where they're, they're going to be circumstantially challenged and relationally challenged. Look at verse 7. And this is where the blessing clearly tests the relationship. It says there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And then it has this footnote that at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Okay, real quick here. So Abram and Lot are hanging out at the headquarters. And they're counting their money. And they're eating their meals, three a day. They're enjoying the, the, the good life. But, you know, 150 yards away, you got the shrinking acreage because it's getting filled up with sheep, it's getting filled up with cattle, it's getting filled up with all sorts of livestock. And the guys that are running, the foremen, the, the, the guys overlooking the businesses, they're starting to get short with each other. They're starting to get upset. Abram's foreman's looking at Lot's foreman and says, hey, dude, you got 25 sheep over here again. It's the third time this week. You know we've got limited supply. I thought we made it clear. That's your side of the territory. This is our side of the territory. And you got lots of guys saying, oh, yeah? Did you not see the 10 head of cattle over here on our side? And they've grazed up half the pasture. What are we supposed to do to feed our cows? And that goes on for a week, for a month. And finally, you're two months into it. And you've got all out war between the two herdsmen. And it finally gets back to Abram and back to Lot. And now we've got a problem, an internal problem. And then, by the way, you got the Canaanites and the Perizzites in the land. Uh, those are the bad guys. 
They're not part of Abram's family. They're not part of God's covenant. They're just the enemy sitting on the sideline saying, I love watching these two men of the covenant fight with each other. I love seeing these guys weaken each other. And if they'll just keep bickering and they'll just keep fighting and they'll just keep having strife between them, you know, they must not remember we're the enemy, but we can't wait because when they're at their weakest, we're going to strike our hardest. And that's a word for the church, by the way. That's why as a charismatic, I don't fight with the Baptist. That's why as one who believes strongly in the sovereignty of God and have been uh, at times accused, I don't really feel like it's a badge of shame, accused of being a Calvinist, that's why I don't walk around trying to pick a fight with a clear Arminian. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us all the same way. And it's not my goal in life to figure out what can divide me from my brothers in Christ. That's not my goal. The Lord isn't helped by that. And by the way, when we do that, the enemy, the greater parasite, the, the greater Canaanite, stands back and says, I hope they'll just keep, I hope those Christians just keep going at it. I hope that those denominational divides broaden. I hope that pride in this group swells over the pride in this group. I hope we can just get them weaker and weaker and weaker through strife so that when they're at their weakest, we'll come at them our hardest. And that's the spiritual parallel of what was going on with Abram and Lot. And so here's the test. Something's got to change. Somebody's got to make a decision. So look at verses 8 and 9. Abram's going to do the big boy thing. He's actually going to prioritize the relationship over everything else. Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are brothers, we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you, Lot? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right. If you take the right, I will go to the left. Now, let me just give you something real quick. Abraham did not have to do any of that. Why? It's his land. God didn't make a covenant with Lot. The land belongs to Abram. And so there is, Lot doesn't have a leg to stand on. He doesn't, Abram could literally, if he wanted to, say, Hey, Lot, your herdsmen and the the foreman down there, they're driving my guys crazy. I tell you what, dude, it's been a great ride, but get out, take all your stuff, and go find a new place to live. This land belongs to me. He had the power, he had the position, he had the authority, he had the, so to speak, word of God on his side. And he could have done it. He could have been the Abraham that he was down in Egypt before he came back and built the altar and began to hear from the Lord again. But because he had begun to be reconnected to the Lord, he looks at the situation and instead of choosing himself, he literally, technically, chose to lose. He says to Lot, hey, I love you. This isn't going to work out in the same plot of land. But Lot, all of this belongs to me. The God of heaven has given it to me. And I tell you what, nephew, check it out. Look wherever you want. You pick what you want, and I'll get out of your way. We call that deference. We call that humility. The world would call it losing, but we're going to find out here in just a few minutes that he didn't lose a thing. Let me ask you some questions that I cannot know the answers to. Um, but I think you have to explore the answers. Is there somebody in your life that, man, you're going head-to-head with on a regular basis? Is there somebody that maybe you have the advantage? 
you have the position. Maybe you're like some of us that I, I spent many years as a much younger man getting to know the Word of God, not because I love God so much, but because I wanted to use the Word of God to win the debate. And I, I used the Word of God, kind of like, you know, the Word of God is called the sword. You, you know that, right? Peter took his sword and cut off the ear of the guy in the garden. I would take out my Bible sword and I would cut off the hearing of anybody that I was trying to get my point across to. And a lot of times we have position, we have authority, we have power, we have the rights. And sometimes if we're not reconnected to God, we will use all of that that is ours for ourselves and never consider that, hey, maybe God actually wants you to humble yourself. Maybe God actually wants you to prefer the other in this situation. Now, I don't want to get in your business or anything, but sometimes, my brother, you just need to let your wife win the fight, win the argument. Sometimes, my dear sister, you don't have to get the last word in. Sometimes you just can, you can lose the moment and win the big picture. Because at the end of the day, let me tell you what we all want to go to bed with. At the end of the day, we don't want to go to bed saying, man, I showed her. <laughs> Buddy, I, I, I wish I had that on video. That was one of my finest moments. I won that fight. I won that debate. I put that person in their place or vice versa with the genders there. I put him in his place. I won. We don't want to go to bed satisfied with some smugness that we got our way and we leveraged our authority or leveraged our position or leveraged our knowledge or leveraged anything for our own gain. I want to go to bed tonight and I want to say, Lord, I'm going to bed because, uh, going to bed in peace because I believe to the best of my ability, I honored and pleased you today and preferred others above myself. And, and that's actually what we want to go to bed with. And somehow Abram had gotten that, that current inside of him and he's just saying, hey, let's not let any strife continue between me and you. Um, is there somebody you need to apologize to, like this week? Is there somebody that did you wrong, somebody that said something, did something, acted in a certain way, and you got all the facts on your side, you got all of the, you got, you got your legal case set up, but there may just be this, this work of the Holy Spirit who, who, who speaks like this. Sometimes he says, Hey, do you remember all those prayers you've called out and cried and fasted over that you want to be more like Jesus? Yes, Holy Spirit. Yes, I remember them. Okay, one of the things Jesus did was when he was reviled, he did not revile back. When he was accused, he didn't live in self-defense mode. When he had every right as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he laid down all of those rights, took a towel, wrapped it around his waist, and took dirty disciples' feet in his hands and washed their feet, including the feet of Judas the traitor. Is that too radical for us? And I know in my flesh I can't ever do that. But I also know in those moments where the Holy Spirit gets a hold of me and I'm able to adopt that mindset and fulfill that kind of action, I know I sense the pleasure of the Lord. And guys, if we're talking about revival at the end of the age and we're talking about breakthrough and we're wanting our culture to return to the Lord, these are the kind of things and daily decisions that God is expecting us to emulate Jesus in. That literally, we're not supposed to preach about these things or sing about these things. We're actually supposed to do them. And so when, when we talk about dying to ourselves, that's not a happy doctrine. 
That's not a glib theology. Yeah, I'm just, <laughs> hallelujah, I'm dying to myself. Amen, awesome. That's not the way it works. And especially when the emblem of death is crucifixion. You've heard me teach this before. Crucifixion was invented by the Romans to be the slowest means of possible death. It literally drew out an agonizing death. And, that's, and Jesus says, hey, if, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself. you got to pick up your cross. And you got to come behind me and you got to die daily. And then he added this little caveat. And if you can't do that, you can't be my disciple. In the modern church, it's, it's optional. Yeah, I'm, I'm saved by grace through faith. And yeah, that dying to myself stuff and picking up the cross, that's just kind of icky. I don't, I don't really do that. And so we've made it an option, and Jesus never did. And so it's tested constantly. And so Abram is getting tested long before Jesus ever walked the earth, but Abram's getting tested, and him not having the Spirit of God in his heart seems to have the law of God written on his heart. And so he says to Lot, I would much rather you get your way and me not get my way than for us to continue in strife, which dishonors the Lord and stirs up the enemy. Y'all are quiet. So Abram deferred to Lot. He said, take whatever ground you want. So in essence, pardon the quip, uh, the pun here, but Abram lost ground, literally lost acreage. And we'll see that in the next, the next spot. So Abram's humbly trusting God now. I got a few more minutes and I'm going to cut you loose. Abram was humbly trusting at this point. In verse number 10, what does Lot do? Because Lot's made out of something different than Abram at this point. Lot lifts up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. And then there's the footnote that this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Now, I'm not going to poke a whole lot of holes at, at, at Lot here. I mean, Abram told him to pick what he wanted, and Lot said, I do. And he picks the land that has all of the water and all of the greenery. Why is that important? Because that was what the strife was over. The strife was over the lack of vegetation for the herds, the lack of water for the herds. And so Lot's, it's as if Lot's saying, this is my moment. I'm never going to have to worry about need again. I'm going I'm to get mine. And so before Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, it's in this valley there, not too far from the Jordan River, and it's well watered, and it's lush, and it's beautiful. That's why you had the cities down there of Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and it, was, it literally would have been like an oasis down there. And so Abram literally loses the best of the land that he had seen up to that point. And he lets Lot run down there and take it, and so Abram's just like, you, you want it, you got it. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to me and you, but let's go back to what I just asked you a few minutes ago. How would you feel when it's your turn to intentionally let another person get what you might rightfully, um, what you might have rights to? H how do we feel in that, that idea? Because right now I'm just presenting it to you as an idea, as a potential, as a calling, as a virtue. But it only, it, it only becomes actual when you, when you get into it and say, all right, I'm going to lose this one. I don't have to. I don't feel like I should. I don't really want to. Um, I really don't want to see them win at my expense. 
But you hear the Holy Spirit just saying, yeah, but you've been asking me to make you like Jesus, and I can't make you like Jesus if you cut off this aspect of Jesus. Because we, we do this. I, can I weave some testimony in here so y'all don't think I'm, I'm lecturing you tonight? By, by, I'm, I'm only preaching what I'm having to walk out. I'm, I'm, I'm actually living this right now. And it doesn't matter how or when or where, but I'm actually living this at a high level right now of having to release and surrender and deny myself and figure out what that's going to look like every single day. And let me tell you how I started out, because <laughs> this started several months ago. I'm like, and please don't let your mind wander. Um, but in this context where I'm having to choose whether or not to lose, I'm, I'm like looking at the other side of the aisle and thinking, oh, really, you, <laughs> you think you're going to do that? No, I don't, I don't think you're going to do that because you don't know who you're messing with. Um, that's, that's not right. That's wrong. I, I don't deserve that. You don't deserve it. And so, no, I'm going to fight you. So I felt really good about those conversations in the initial days. And then I get into my prayer closet, and the Lord's like, Jeff, do you remember when I told you this is going to be a season of decrease for you? Yes, Lord, and I thank you that during cancer you decreased me, and I'm glad it's over with now. <laughs> and it's almost like I'm kind of, you know, formatting this a little differently, but this is basically the, what I came away with. The Lord's like, I, I didn't say the decreasing was over with. You beat cancer, but you're not decreased to where I want you to be decreased to. I'm thinking to myself, well, that's fine. You can decrease me, but not this way, not with this, this situation, not with this, this issue. And so I went from kind of, uh-uh, to, well, if I have to, I guess I will, Lord. Uh, I'm going to be holy and stuff. I guess I'll have to do it. So I started doing the right thing, but with the wrong attitude. And that doesn't work with the Lord because he's not only interested in us conforming outwardly, he wants our hearts. And so he doesn't want me to behave like Jesus. He wants me to be like Jesus. And so it finally gets to the point where the, the, the pressure, you know, you, it's like I didn't mind being out of fellowship with, with other people because I, I can go be in fellowship with the Lord. Most people are wrong, and, you know, I'm justifying all my carnality and just saying I've got a right to do this and act this way and think this way. And after all, I've got the Lord, and I reach up for Papa's hand, for Abba's hand, and <laughs> he had taken a step back. He's like, if you want a fellowship with me, you're going to have to come to where I am. And it required me, and it is requiring me in certain ways, of having to race to the back of the line, to race to the bottom of the pack. And in the midst of it, let me tell you what I found. The fear of losing is leaving me. The fear of failing is leaving me. The fear of being, because... Pretty much everybody in the room, this is not unique to me, everybody's been wounded or done wrong in this room at some point, and nobody wants to sign up for it again. And so what do we do? We build thick, thick walls and say, ain't nobody ever going to do X, Y, Z to me again. And the Lord's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually not a wall builder. I'm a bridge builder, and you're going to have to take down every stone you just directed. And so what's happening to us when we get in situations like this is the Lord wants us to learn how to lose because any time that we're losing in the will of God, it's actually not a loss. 
And Abram's about to find that out. So let me get you to the happy part of the story. So they separated from each other. Verse 12, Abram settled in the land of Canaan. Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. So Lot saw the fertile plain. It was beautiful, well-watered, gorgeous, going to take care of all of his needs and everything, and he chose it. And Abram saw the rest of the land, which wasn't as awesome. But let me tell you what neither one of them saw. Neither one of them saw what is found in verse 13, that the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. I don't, I'm not preaching on Sodom and Gomorrah tonight, but let me just say this, and so we can learn from Lot's mistake. When you're tempted to move towards something because it externally appeals to your senses, you need to pause and ask God to disclose to you what's on the inside of that thing that I'm desiring. Because Lot got everything he wanted based on what he saw with his senses, On the outside, Sodom looked great, but if he had paused and gotten into the presence of God like Abraham had been doing at the altar, God would have said to Lot, you don't want to go down there, son, because it's going to cost you everything. And unfortunately, we know the story of Lot. Lot did not ask God, and Lot lost everything in the place that he chose for himself. Friends, there are so many lessons we can learn here. This is all ultimately about faith because when God wants you to lose in a moment and when, when God allows somebody else to win, even at your own expense, it is highly likely that whatever they gained that you released yourself from, that you took the, the high road by going low, whatever they gain is, much in, is far inferior to whatever you're going to gain from the Lord. So we look at our little Sodom and Gomorrah, the fertile plain, the, the, the beauty and the lush. It all looks so good. That's exactly what we've been looking for. This is what I've wanted. And so we dive headlong into this thing. And ha ha, Abram, you, you take that junk. I got this. This is my day. I'm blessed. I got all this stuff coming my way. And, and, and sometimes if we would just stop and just say, oh, wait a minute, before I say yes to all of this, Lord, what, what's on the inside of this thing? What's this thing going to be like when it's unpacked for me? And if Lot had done that, man, he would have not lost his wife, not lost his peace. The New Testament says he was vexed daily because of the wickedness in that city. And he retained his positional righteousness. The the New Testament says he's a righteous man. So Lot didn't abandon God. He just couldn't enjoy God anymore. And the reason why is because he was living for what he could see and what he could get. And it cost him his his wife, it cost him everything that, I mean, when, when Lot ran out of Sodom and Gomorrah as the fire was coming down from heaven on it, he didn't have any of those livestock. He, he didn't have any of his silver and gold. He had two daughters that had been corrupted themselves by what had taken place, oh, excuse me, in um, Sodom and Gomorrah. And a whole series of chain of events came because Lot one day thought he was going to win something in this thing with Abraham. And Abraham just took a step back and says, I'm going to give you the choice. You can win this. And so Lot lost, and we don't hear much from him after, um, you know, chapter 19. Let me give you the last few verses. Here's where I want to go. When you choose to lose, and you do so in the will of the Lord, it doesn't mean you have to lose every battle. Don't, don't leave here saying, Jeff just declared from the Bible tonight, we are never supposed to win. 
That's not what I'm saying. What I'm, supposed, what I'm saying is that we are supposed to stay so connected with the Lord that we can hear him when he says, this win is not for you, let it go. And that, that's going to happen, guys. I know, you know most of us in the room, we're proud Americans. Americans don't lose. Bless God, we can't glorify God if we're losing anything. The greatest victory that has ever happened on this planet came through the cross. And humanly speaking and naturally speaking, it was a loss. It cost the Son of God everything. And it was the greatest victory because it actually defeated. Jesus releases everything to the Father. And the devil is saying, I got you. I got you. I got you. Hell celebrates as Jesus to the natural senses, both of the human eye and the demonic eye, that this whole scene plays out. Even his own disciples viewed it for three days as a catastrophe, as a loss, as a death sentence on them. And God takes that ultimate surrender that Jesus gave on the cross and God just says, wait three days and I'll prove to you it wasn't a loss. And he emerges from the, the, the tomb victorious forever. Like Jesus is sitting on a throne in heaven now ruling over the cosmos. Don't tell me he lost. He sacrificed is what he did. And so here we get down to Abram. Abram's now by himself. Use your sanctified imagination. The Lord said to Abram after Lot separated from him, Abram, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Abram, look to the north. Abram, look to the south. Look to the east, Abram. Look to the west. And Abram, I want you to remember something. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Abram, you didn't lose anything. Because when you're looking to the north and you're looking to the south and you're looking to the east and you're looking to the west, guess what you're seeing? Everything, including what he had just given to Lot. He had given that territory, and look at God. Look at God come in. Lot's gone. We don't know if Abram was upset, if Abram was struggling. We, we just know that Lot got the best pick. Abram took the high road and deferred. And sometimes when we do that, we're thinking, oh, man, boy, that one stings. That one hurts. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. You know, we, we second-guess our... <laughs> act of consecration after we have acted in consecration. And, and Abram may have been thinking those things, but it's, it's so good of the Lord because the Lord just, I just picture a gentle scene. I picture Abram, an old man, deferring to his younger nephew. And he's now, I just picture him walking out on the land and he's thinking, wow, that would have been nice to have. We could have done some awesome things down there in that fertile area. I don't know how I'm going to take care of all my livestock because Lot's sheep ate up everything. And it's almost like the Lord just steps in and says, oh, hey, Abram, I'm going to show you something. Do a 360. What, Lord? Yeah, do a 360. North, south, east, west. Okay, Lord. Yeah, everything you just saw is still yours. You didn't lose a thing. And that's the message. When we choose to lose, friends, the message is this, is that when we do it by spiritual conviction, we do it in a way to display the humility and meekness and deference of Jesus Christ to a world that knows nothing. You live in the most cutthroat generation that this nation has ever seen. It's never been more me-centered than it is now. 
Everybody is a law unto themselves. The whole chorus, the diabolical chorus of the United States of America's culture is, I want mine, I want it now, and I don't care if it costs you. That is our culture. And when Christians start saying, I'm going to be like Jesus, and I'm not going to demand my rights. I'm not going to fight for me. By the way, let me just throw this in there. There, There's probably very few more anti-Jesus attitudes than give me what I deserve. That is so un-Jesus. And it's so predominant in the culture that the church has started mimicking it. We're parroting the culture because we feel entitled and we feel, no, 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 no. Pick up your cross daily. Follow the Son of God and die to yourself. And when you do, you haven't lost a thing. And so in verse 16, 17, he says, I'm going to make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So he re reaffirms the covenant. He says, just like nobody can count the dust of the earth, your offspring, Abram. Remember, he is an old man with an old wife and no babies. And God comes in, he says, Abram, I just want you to remember what I promised you. You haven't lost. You're not being diminished. You're not, don't be disappointed with yourself. Don't be disappointed with me. Abram, arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land. I will give it to you. Lot picked his temporary land, but Abram got the promised land. And then verse 19, or verse 18, I love this, and we are done. Matter of fact, to prove it, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Because I think I said I'm done like two or three other times tonight. Look at verse 18, and, and I love this, man. This is, this is growth, man. This is growth. In one chapter, you see, we got to watch a guy journey with God, and he grew. Verse 18, Abram moved his tent because the land where they were, all eaten up, he had to move to. Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And look what he did. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Abram lost but one. The end of the chapter is this. Abram Lots down in the most wicked city that you find in most of the book of Genesis, probably the wickedest city, city group. And it's going to cost Lot everything. And what does Abram do? Abram's not living in the metropolis. Abram's not living in the green pastures and the well-watered plain. Abram's not, Abram's not living in what appeals to the natural. But Abram just got, I mean, Lot didn't have a discussion with God. God went to Abram. God got close to Abram. God saddled up right next to Abram and reassures him, speaks life over him, reaffirms the covenant, reminds him of his identity. And Lot's down there doing whatever Lot's doing in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Abram's response, as God goes back to heaven, Abram's response is, I just got to worship him. He's so good to me. I just got to get on my face before the Lord. And so this old man finds himself some stones. And we don't know how big it was or how tall it is. He just starts laying down stones and he memorializes the moment. As you leave tonight, this is what I want you to to be encouraged by. He's going to call some of you, like in this season, to intentionally choose to lose some of the time. 
go ahead and do it. Go ahead and let somebody else get the win. You're going to need discernment about when to do that. But if, if you are never feeling led to lose, if you're never feeling led to let somebody else get the moment, you're not walking with Jesus close enough. And if we'll walk close with him, I'm going to tell you, it'll change your home. Somebody has to be the first one to choose to bow in the home. And we get in trouble more. We're looking at the other people in the house saying, yeah, it's about time you bowed. If you know somebody needs to bow, maybe it's just better if it's you. And don't keep score. Same thing at work, something in our churches, same thing wherever we go. Choose to lose and let God repackage the win for you. And so let's put ourselves in a posture of receiving. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless the willing tonight that are in this room. I bless them with discernment, humility, and courage to lose sometimes. And I pray, Lord, as you lead them to esteem others better than themselves, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, as they do that, let them experience your close presence. Let them experience the nearness of their King. Holy Spirit, sweeten our hearts in moments where we choose to let others win. And Lord, forbid that we will be driven by what we can see, touch, taste, and measure. Help us, Lord, to pause long enough and ask you to unpack what's on the inside of these things that we think we want. And then, Lord, when we see what's on the inside, let us build altars and say, thank you, Lord, that you have preserved something greater for us. In Jesus' name, amen.